Hello, and welcome to NGO Soul and Strategy, the podcast for NGO leaders and managers who look change right in the eye. My name is Tosca Bruno van Vijfeiken, and I'm the founder and principal consultant at Five Oaks Consulting. I have over three decades of experience helping leaders in civil society manage change, invest in cutting-edge leadership development, lead organizational culture change, and strengthen effectiveness. I'm also a thought leader on these issues, including as co-author of the book, Between Power and Irrelevance, The Future of Transnational NGOs, which is read by civil society leaders across the globe. If you are such a leader and want to look change right in the eye, this podcast is for you. There is much talk in our sector about the presence of burnout among staff and leaders. What happens when an NGO leader decides it is high time for a real break, a four-month sabbatical to be precise? Because he was in need of rest, a reset, and to restore his resilience. And what if that leader happens to be somebody already quite steeped in and knowledgeable about mindfulness, meditation, and leadership. That's the case of Chris Peru, somebody who I'm proud to consider my friend, who's a global director at Umentum, and who happens to live practically in my backyard here in upstate New York. In our interview, I asked Chris what happened to his mind during his sabbatical. Is there an art indeed to, quote, do nothing, unquote, something I am very bad in myself. Chris shared his insights on what the mental journey was that he went through in the four months and what he became aware of when he was not focusing on work most of his hours that he was awake. We also speak about how NGOs can make sabbaticals happen as a part of a benefit package, without considering it as a luxury, even for those NGOs who are smaller in size and resource-constrained. Come along and listen in to a thoughtful person and a deep thinker about leadership, meditation, rest, and reset. Hello, everybody. This is Tosca at NGO Soul and Strategy. And uh, today we're having a very special episode. We're going to talk uh, with somebody who I deeply respect, Chris Prue at Umentum. He is going to talk with us about the broader theme of how to rest, how to reset as a leader in our sector, and how to um, find and refine resilience. And I'll explain in a moment why we came up with this term. So Chris has been a colleague and a friend for a while now, and I value his insight on management and leadership in our sector a lot. I also value his insights on innovation and what it means to be entrepreneurial, and I've learned a lot from him. I value his all-around thoughtfulness, ethics, and his values. And Chris and I happen to share an interest in meditation and leadership, although he has a lot more depth in that than, than I do. So it was immediately clear to me that when Chris announced that he was going to take four months off in the second half of last year, 2021, for a sabbatical, and that 
when he indicated in public that he sensed he was suffering from some symptoms of burnout, that I would want to interview him. And of course, we are going to respect his personal privacy in this this, uh, interview. So I'm aiming to ask questions that are of generalizable interest to the sector and valuable to the sector. So with that, Chris, let me welcome you. Great. It's great to be here. And uh, I think this is such an important conversation to be having and and, um, looking forward to seeing where it goes. Yeah, totally. So Chris, for our listeners who doesn't know him, so he's the global director for what is now called Solutions at Umentum. And I will be asking you, Chris, in a moment, of course, to explain what Umentum is. He was the president and CEO of Lingos, which was one of the three parts of Umentum that integrated through um, through a merger. What is it now? Three, four, five years ago? Almost um, five, yeah. Almost five. Incredible, right? Yes. Um, and Lingos was, um, uh, um, and Umentum still offers um, e-learning solutions and other forms of learning solutions for the NGO, not just the INGO, but also the national NGO sector. And before that, he was the CEO of Cornell University's eCornell here in the United States. And that was and is presumably an online education company connected to that university. And interestingly enough, and I think valuable enough, uh, he has held positions also at an internet design consulting company, as well as in the retail industry, so in the private sector. So, Chris, with that bio, then let's start. For the record, can you tell us at the very beginning of this interview what your sabbatical entailed practically why did it happen in, in kind of if you could talk about it in an introductory fashion first and where are you now? Yeah, sure. So as you noted, I took four months leave from September through December of last year. And quite simply, it you know, it was basically about rest. You know, I know a number of people when they're doing sabbaticals take really uh, monumental trips mm-hmm. or invest a lot of time in learning some new things. And I went in quite with the intention to primarily keep it simple, to rest, um, and found, and I'm sure we'll talk about this as we keep going, that even my uh, unambitious plans were more ambitious than I expected. So <laughs> it mostly entailed um, spending a lot of time outdoors. I live in a great place. It was in a great time of year to be able to do that. So hiking and, and running, et cetera, uh, a lot of work in my garden. It entailed um, reading several books and doing a little bit of kind of musing and writing about those books. And we can sort of talk about that. Um, A couple of short trips, but nothing uh, monumental. Um, And then just, yeah, supporting my household and my family and um, spending time doing that. Uh, So that's basically what it entailed. I am back at work now here at Eventum as Global Director of Solutions. And let me just say a couple words about the why. the why, I mean, you gave a, a nice little short summary of my bio there. I mean, I, for about 20 years, have either been in a startup situation, a merger situation, a turnaround situation, um, and didn't even allow really sort of transitions between those, op- those opportunities. So often was going from one to the next, or in some cases doing two things even at once. Mm. And I think I did not pay attention to how those kinds of activities really tax the mind, they tax the body, they tax the spirit. Um, and maybe we'll have a little time to talk about time actually in this conversation. We'll see whether I can squeeze that in. 
and what that means in terms of how we measure performance and results and accomplishments over different periods of time. And, and I think it all started to kind of blend together for me, honestly. Um, and I got to a certain point where I realized I was losing the, the perspective I needed to be an effective leader. Mm, losing the perspective. Why don't you talk about time since you brought it up? Let's go there. Yeah. So, um, look, we all know that feels like the world is speeding up, right? We all know that because of the sort of constant on, um, that there's this sense that you're needed all the time. And that is all true, right? But I don't think that's the root of the problem, right? I think the root of the problem is we've lost track of the fact that time is, of course, <laughs> time is a bit of a perception or an illusion, some people even say, right? Is and, and what that really means is, is that we actually have the ability to, to stretch things out or shorten things down, right? Or to determine for ourselves, what is the right rhythm, cadence, pace that something needs to happen in our lives? And I think certainly for me, uh, you know, I started to kind of feel like everything needed to happen faster. It needed to happen within the same short-term window. And I'm very much sort of lost sight of like, well, what's being accomplished in a, in a year or five years or 10 years? And if you take that to a leadership point of view, and I haven't fully thought this thing through, right? But I think there's lots of space for organizations and for leaders to, to think about the fact that different milestones in the organization's journey are happening at different paces and aligning, therefore, effort, people, metrics uh, to those kinds of things, right? So yes, there are things that you might need to measure literally on a daily basis. So know what those are that you want to measure on a daily basis. And then recognize that there are other things that maybe the right interval is a year or five years, right? Um, and I think prior to the, you know, prior to like at least the 20th century, I, I think humans had a much more flexible idea of what time was and mm. what was the right interval to sort of, you know, interact with, uh, you know, and we all know that, you know, different cultures aligned with seasonal changes or lunar changes or whatever. And I think that's a broader way of thinking about the fact that um, there are, there are multiple ticks of the clock essentially, and we've kind of very much landed on one. And, yeah. and I think that's problematic. Wow. That's a really strange, Strong entry to this interview. And I'm thinking about the seven generations time perspective, right? right. And I'm thinking about uh, an, a podcast uh, that I really like, that is the Longtime uh, Academy, is put out mm. by Headspace. Yeah. I will put it in the, in the show notes. And it's a terrific perspective also on time. Coming back to the overall um, uh, purpose of your sabbatical. So if I just give it a shorthand and, and please tell me if it's something different, but rest, reset and resilience, right? What did you broadly speaking, learn about that in the retreat, in the, sorry, in your sabbatical? So I, first I learned something interesting about rest and I experienced this. And when I talked to others who had taken a similar kind of break, either as a sabbatical or as a big gap between two different uh, parts of their career, um, the assumption is that you're exhausted and on day one, you will just sleep. <laughs> and what's interesting is that my mind wasn't ready to do that. 
And I found in talking to others that their minds weren't ready to do that either, is that um, to be able to properly rest actually requires, actually, it turns out, a little space and a little prep. And so the first few days and weeks were more active, more busy for me. Now, partly that's just the habit, right, of trying to kind of keep things going when we're all used to being overachievers. Exactly. Yeah. But part of it also, I think, is even though I didn't, even in areas where I couldn't pull that habit back, like my mind and my body weren't ready to sleep extended periods of time, take naps, et cetera. Um, and in fact, really what happened for me is I had uh, about two thirds of the ret- way through the retreat. I did a, a sabbatical. I did a three weeks meditation retreat. When I came back from that, then suddenly I was overwhelmed with exhaustion. And you would say, well, you just had three weeks of doing nothing. And I did, in theory, have three weeks of doing nothing. But I think finally I was able to let go of a lot of the things that my mind had been holding on to. And then it was like, okay, now I need to rest. And this was like with only three weeks of the sabbatical left to go. And I'm like, how am I going to go back to work? I'm exhausted. But I didn't need that much time. Like by the last week of December, I was waking up again naturally at my normal time. I was energized when I kind of came back to work. So I think the first thing is, we don't, what we think we understand about rest is not always exactly what we need to know, understand about rest, right? For reset, I've quite intentionally, literally, I didn't talk to anyone from my organization, really. I, for the most part, turned off LinkedIn. I would look at it, you know, maybe once a week. Um, so I very intentionally shifted my mind and attention to other things and didn't want to necessarily have this be a big learning time. Like I really wanted to re- to re- reset. And then I paid attention to what bubbled up. Where did I find interest, right? Mm-hmm. And so I found myself gravitating to being interested in reading about the mind and neuroscience and what people are learning about that and consciousness and what it means for leadership. And I just followed that. I just followed that thread. And it led me from one area, one book, to one podcast, to another podcast, et cetera. Um, for different people, it's going to be different things, right? But I think that th- that that part of reset is that yes, it's the rest is important, but having your mind be actively engaged on something that is of interest is in itself a different kind of rest, and it's part of that reset, right? It's like yes. oh, this is stuff that maybe I was interested in before, I just couldn't get to it, right? Yes. And so now with a little space that kind of use of our body and mind can be relaxing, actually. So um, I see that as part of the research. Right. Can be rejuvenating. And it's also something that you potentially can use, can apply in your work situation afterwards, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anything that comes up about resilience or should we move to another question? You know, I think resilience is really in some ways more about um, thinking about okay, so what's going to be different? Um, and I think you have, you might be want to dig into that at another, with another question. So I don't know if you want me to go there now or not. Um, Why don't you? I think what I learned about resilience, let me start to frame my thought here just a little bit. Um, I think one thing I learned about resilience is that I don't, I, I, I was not relying on the help and support of others as nearly as much as I could have. Hmm. And 
part of that is habitual for me, probably. Part of that is cultural. Um, you know, we all, plenty is written about the sort of individualistic sense of the West, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so part of it has definitely been reflecting a lot on what that means for me and, and how I can create more support structures or just use the support structures are there. I think I had a great team that was willing to support me. I don't think I was taking advantage of it as much as I could. Mm. Um, I think keeping in mind kindness um, and kindness to myself and kindness to others for just the, the reality of of the fact that most of this stuff, we're actually not as much control of as we want to anyway, right? right. <laughs> you know, uh, a new client is going to call tomorrow that we haven't even thought about today and might have a really interesting piece of work and, and it's not in the plan, you know, or something happens on, in your family that's not in the plan. A pandemic wasn't in the plan. I mean, this is all of this stuff in the last two, two and a half years has taught all of us so much about that we cannot control almost all of it. And so somehow building a, a comforting personal relationship to that and, and that lack of control, and then trying to bring more kindness to ourselves and to others. And, um, and I said to my daughter the other day, I said, oh, I'm learning a little bit of the difference between being nice and kindness. There was silence for a minute. <laughs> and then she's like, well, what is the difference? <laughs> And when I and the way I define the difference is being nice is an obligation. You know, it's like I'm going to be nice to you, Tosca, because I want you to like me, or right. I was culturally trained to just, you know, the golden rule or whatever. Yeah. Whereas kindness is really sort of thinking about like, ah, what's really going on here, right? Oh, we're doing this podcast right now. You probably have a million other things going on. I had other things going on. It, it's just, it's a it's a more spacious space or more spacious awareness around ev what everyone is is working through and and um and and, and applying that to yourself and, i like that a more space and a greater awareness of uh, of spaciousness and therefore what one could inquire into if you will yeah yeah interesting gosh there's so much more that we could go deeper but i I want to make sure that our audience walks away with a couple of other things as well. So one thing that came up, and I don't know, Chris, whether it came up in our meditation leadership circle or whether it came up somewhere else, but the art of doing nothing, uh, um, something that I, Tosca, utterly fail in, generally speaking. So during your sabbatical, Chris, did you do nothing sometimes? Yes, but I had to learn the art of doing nothing um, I, I was, I was a little anxious, honestly, about having too much empty space Yeah, and how that would affect my mood, my mental health, um, my energy level, would I ever want to go back to work? I mean, you know, there were plenty of anxieties about having all of that space. And so, I mean, it's no joke. I'm embarrassed to admit this. You know, I, I sat down you know, literally in that first week, and I was scheduling the day. Yeah. And what was included in that day were things that were restful. I mean, it was like, oh, I'm going to hike from this period of time, and I'm going to clean the kitchen at this time, and I'm going to meditate at that time. And really, I was about like, I don't know, maybe two weeks in, I was like, this is just ridiculous. Because 
what was happening is back to control is things would happen and suddenly the day was off kilter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was anxious about that. So, so that's when I did a couple of things. I first looked at my list of things that I might want to do or accomplish on this sabbatical. And I just started crossing things off. And that is a, uh, I'll come back to why I did that. So, cause there's another core point about that. So that was one thing I did. Um, and then I largely threw the schedule away um, and allowed things to take a little bit more of the space and time that they needed to take. So it wasn't always doing nothing, but sometimes it was doing something without as much of an agenda, an agenda to finish by a certain time or whatever. And then, then I did this three-week meditation retreat, which mm-hmm. is arguably three weeks of doing nothing, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, but even there, so you know, the structure of this retreat is very structured. You wake up at a certain time, you eat, you do a sitting meditation, you do a walking meditation, that kind of unfolds for 14 hours, you go to bed, <laughs> right? And I noticed when there was somewhat open time on the schedule, that something wasn't quite scheduled, or I finished something a little bit early, there was this little, that little anxious voice was still there, even on that retreat. And so I remember having a conversation with one of the teachers about, okay, my goal now, and this was about halfway through, my goal for the next 10 days is to truly find like how effortless can this be? How much can I withdraw effort, withdraw effort, and still kind of maintain enough structure and rigor to maintain the retreat? And she said, oh, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. You should find out what you learn about that. And my lesson is, is that I think I got to the end of the three weeks and I didn't find the bottom of that is that I was still space to unwind, still space to find less efforting, still space to find less kind of pushing into like trying to make an experience happen the way it is. And, you know, so if I was doing that there when I was truly like permission to do nothing, I mean, that means that ha- that habit is with me when I'm at work and it's, you know, with me when I'm going through my day to day. And I'm sure I am not alone in carrying that habit around. Of course. And I think... That's something for all of us to, yeah, to practice with is to say, all right, where am I doing that? And and how can I just back off on that just a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So um, what have you learned from this sabbatical about yourself that you're comfortable in sharing that you think is generalizable to a broader set of NGO leaders? Probably the, the the biggest thing I've talked to people about since coming back um, is 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 the the preciousness of our attention mm. and how poorly we use it individually and collectively. And there's plenty of stuff written. You know, we could have a whole podcast series about distraction, right? And I, one of the books I read on the um, on the retreat is this book or on the sabbatical is this book Indistractable by Nir Eyal. It's great if you're at all worried about your level of distraction. I highly recommend Nir Eyal's book, and that's part of it, right? So part of it is is am I going to be distracted by the phone dinging something at me, which I won't right now because you told me to turn it off. <laughs> that's one level of attention, right? But what I discovered on on the sabbatical as I started to try to pull back is there are other levels at which our attention works. And part of this is around time, right? Mm. 
And I'm sure you've had other people on and you've sort of talked about it. Like, how do you get your organization to focus on a few core priorities? Oh, yeah. Right. How within a project do you not let the project like bubble out in scope? Right. And so all of that to me is related to attention. And what I found is that even when I thought I only had a few things to put my attention on, there were still too many things to put my attention on. If I really wanted to learn about what I was thinking about and reading about, if I really wanted to enjoy the process, um, et cetera, right? You know, so once I decided to say focus on a more limited set of things and I was gonna kind of follow this thread of reading a little bit about neuroscience, then I sort of thought about, right, so this is about going deeper, not broader. Right. And so I allowed myself to like read a couple of books by the same author, listen to podcasts, interviews with her. Right. And really make that what I was thinking about for, you know, several days at a time. And I think for some people, if you, you know, if you're an academic, if you're a researcher, that's probably more natural. Mm. But I think for most of us who are in middle and senior leadership roles, the world prioritizes something completely different. And it's not just that we can't multitask in the moment. I don't really think we can multitask very effectively uh, over, ex- over extended periods of time either. And then that extends to our teams, right? So if I, as a leader, I'm having a hard time having attention, then it's really hard to get alignment of everybody on my team around the core priorities. And then how many organizations undermine those core priorities of saying, oh yeah, but this thing too, right? So, and I think that, so just to connect it then back to the sabbatical, right? So that is a problem, I think, in most organizations. And I think it is related to why people feel overworked or burned out or just not at the kind of crispness of their cutting edge as they could be, right? Even if they don't have the classical symptoms of burnout, right? Mm-hmm. Is is that um is is the it's the it's the mental energy of having to put our attention onto so many things because the brain does want to process some things. So if you're kind of t- on in the one hand processing something and then getting new input or turning your attention to something else to process, it's inevitably going to exhaust itself. Right. And it's going to exhaust itself, I hear you say. And you also said a little while back, it's not going to produce whatever quality means here, but uh, quality outcomes. That's right. Right. And those quality outcomes could be measured in a variety of ways. Yeah, right? yeah. Could be the actual work product. It could be the relationships of the people that yeah. you're engaged with. It could be the impact of that work. I mean, we're talking about NGOs in particular. Um and I, believe me, I think I, I think I was able to observe that that is true. I nowhere near say coming up with the magic bullet of how to fix that problem. Right. I mean, you know, but I, but I do believe that if we all uh, spent a little bit more time intentionally thinking about that, um, we might get a little bit more success and, yeah. and a little bit more space. Yeah. And thankfully, we did not ask you or would never ask anybody to fix that, right? That would be a right. huge responsibility. So so I'm assuming you did not load that on, upon your shoulders. No, 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 no. <laughs> right. Um, 
let's transition now as, as we need to think about the end of the interview to how organizations, how NGOs deal when their leaders need to or want to take a sabbatical, right? And we were talking in this case, four months, uh, three months, six months, whatever, all right? How did Umentum organize that in a way the word was did justice to what you needed while being fair to everybody else too? Because that's always also a difficult conundrum, no? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm incredibly grateful to the structure we had at Humentum in terms of allowing this as, as, a, as a bit of a benefit. Um, and it's relatively new. So kudos to our CEO, Christine So, who really championed looking at all of our sort of um, uh, kind of benefits and, and structuring in some new programs. Yeah. And this sabbatical is one that was new to us. Um, and I was happy to take advantage of it, but also grateful for the team because everybody had to flex to make it work a little bit differently. Um, so, you know, for, for us, I think what, what I think I've heard from my team is, well, first of all, what I experienced was a lot of support to try to make this happen. Um, mm, wonderful. And so, so Christine, who's my direct supervisor had to take on some new responsibilities. I then distributed some of those responsibilities to other members of my direct reports um, and some extended team members. Um, you know, and it, what everyone says is actually true. Like no one is indispensable, right? So what happens when this happens in an organization is, especially you're talking about a leader in the organization is first of all, a lot of what I was doing actually didn't need to get done. <laughs> right. <laughs> so some of those things just didn't need to happen or needed, could get half, could happen in a, in a different way. Right. So that's part of how the organization absorbs it. Second way the organization absorbs it is, you know, people get great opportunities to rise to meet the challenge and to take on stretch assignments and do different kinds of things and new relationships are formed. So my team now has a way better relationship uh, with Christine individually because they all had to spend more time together learning to work with each other. And that benefits the organization totally. Um, the third thing is, you know, some things get reinvented and that's good too. Um, you know, new processes, you know, get created or new approaches happen because new voices are in the room kind of talking about those kinds of solutions. So, you know, I think, I, you know, I think it's why, for example, I mean, what makes me think is like, you know, I don't know how much NGOs do this, right? But, you know, in the corporate world, sometimes there's this notion of job rotation, right? And they move people around, you know, mm -hmm. after a certain period of time. Or if someone's in a high potential category, they want to have them have an opportunity to do HR marketing. And I think in some ways this is a little bit similar, right? I mean, if this is intentional uh, segmenting someone out of the structure um, so that you then can rethink about how you're going to do this work. And in the process, there's leadership opportunities for people who are going to get stretch assignments. There's work processes that maybe get reinvented. Um, and then, of course, hopefully your leader comes back and is ready to take on the new challenges. Yeah, yeah. There is at least three, four more questions that I would have loved to ask you, but we don't have that time, ironically. So let me finish on this question before I get to um, a process question at the end. This, and the obvious one is, what will you do differently individually after this retreat? What do you hope at a behavior level? to maintain or nurture, et cetera? 
Yeah, there's about three or four things that I'm doing right now. So the first is I decided to, you know, we're a completely globally distributed team, but I decided to move my office out of my house. Mm. So I'm subletting an office. I walk to work, take 10 minutes, the beginning and the end of the day to do that. And I just go to a physically different space. So in the context of what everyone's talking about in terms of return to work, I'll just throw that out there. It's what yeah. I'm doing, what I discovered I needed. Um, the second is I am thinking about this issue of attention. You know, I came back and looked at what's the most important thing for me to focus on in coming back in January. I didn't try to worry about a year's plan. I just said, what's the most important thing in January? Sat down, wrote a few, you know, bullet points around what that is. Is that a hundred percent of my attention? No, but it's that touchstone that I just kind of keep going back to. Like, this is the most important thing for me to focus on in January. And I talked to Christine about that's what I'm focusing on, right? Third is uh, we have a Flex Friday program here. Um, I won't get into the details of how it works, but I was a poor user of it <laughs> before. <laughs> and I've made that a response, you know, kind of really consciously trying to do that now. Um, I'm going to make that a, a core thing that I'm doing. It's third thing. Um, fourth thing, I'm making sure to leave a little bit of space in my time every week to continue to focus on the things that are intellectually interesting to me uh-huh. and that... I believe are beneficial to Humentum, but are not just about completing projects, ticking the boxes, you know, et cetera, right? And really saying, look, I need to bring some of that extra uh, uh, energy in, and I believe that it will fundamentally uh, benefit my work and, and um, you know, and keep the reset going. Yeah, keep the reset going. Wow, I was so grateful, Chris, for this opportunity to ask you these these questions. Uh, it's it's a pretty unique uh, interview. So, if people want to learn more about you, Chris, where should they go? Yeah, I think the best thing is LinkedIn. Um, I try to be fairly active there, and I've been writing some new stuff on there. Just kind of coming back. I from know stuff. about the application of yeah. of. Uh, Buddhism uh, principles amongst others to organizational. That was the most recent piece. Yeah. I got a couple other things cooking. Um, So yeah. So I think LinkedIn, I would love to connect with people on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place. I am on Twitter, but not as active there. Um, And of course you can reach out to me at Humentum as well. And I'm sure you can put that in the show notes. Of course. And I will most definitely do that. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for all your insights. This was, as I said, special for me, given the topic and given who you are. Thank you listeners. Also, if you found this podcast interesting and stimulating as I did. And please be sure to check out the other episodes uh, of my podcast. You can find all of this on my website, fiveoaksconsulting.org. That is the number five and then O-A-K-S consulting.org. Subscribe and you'll always be the first uh, to know. And please know that we are now also offering an online course on virtual team leadership skills Next core dates are February 28th till April 8th. And we also offer a free new mini course. So if you think that you need to up your skills when it comes to your virtual teams or your hybrid teams, then there is a place for you to have a look at and your team will thank you. So this is Tosca and I look forward to spending time with other interesting leaders like Chris on NGO, Soul and Strategy next time. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you valued the content, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. 
so that other leaders of social change organizations can find it too. And if you want to learn more, have a look at my website, fiveoaksconsulting.org, where you will find blog posts, recordings of interviews with me, as well as information about my co-authored book, Between Power and Irrelevance, The Future of Transnational NGOs. If you sign up for my email list, you will receive a free sneak peek at the book. Or feel free to email me at tosca at fiveoaksconsulting.org or contact me through my website and follow me on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Till we talk again at NGO Soul and Strategy, the podcast for NGO leaders and managers who look change right in the eye.